Well, today we are in uh, part three of this current uh, series about a better life where we've been looking at uh, just the contrast between the good life that the world offers us and the things that you have to do to have the, quote, good life and how God's Word offers us something better. And there's a lot of scripture that points us to what it takes to have a better life and just the reality that you're going to have to let go of some good things if you're really going to get in on the better things that God has for you. And so uh, the last couple of weeks we talked about that better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, that I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. And last Sunday, and if you weren't here last Sunday, I want to encourage you, that is an important message. If you haven't uh, listen to that already, please go back and listen to it online just because I think it's one of the most significant messages of the year. As we looked at the truth, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. And I want to tell you, it is a liberating truth if you will buy into that one. And now today we move on to the next better truth. And as we go there, we're going to be talking about wisdom and about the decisions that we have to make in life and a better plan for how you make decisions. And so let me just uh, begin by asking you this. How many of you, in looking back, would say, boy, 2013 has been a year with some really significant decisions for my life or for the members of my family? Just curious to see. A lot of people. I suspect just... I didn't know how you'd respond, but looking at the first and second service, there's probably hardly ever going to be a year that I could ask that question that you wouldn't raise your hands because the truth of the matter is we're always confronted again and again and again with just big decisions, even when we don't think that there are a lot of big ones coming. It's like, bam, big stuff's in your face. And it starts early. I mean, you think about when you're in high school and life's just supposed to be so you know, fun and carefree, but already in high school you're thinking about, what do I do when I get out of here? Am I going to work? Am I going to go to school? Where am I going to go to school? What should I major in? What do I want to do for a career when you're away at college? You know, Should I date this girl? Should I date this guy? Should I ask her to marry me? Should I take that ring? Should I say no? You know, When I graduate, should I go to grad school? Should I get a job? Do I want to live here? Do I want to go far away? And it just goes on and on. You know, When you decide, okay, I'm going to marry this person. Well, where do we want to live? Do we want to have kids early? When we have kids, do we want to both work? Does one of us want to stay home? And it just, you know, do we want more kids? Do we, do we want to buy? Do we want to rent? Do, do we we want to be a two-car family, just all of this stuff. And most importantly, here we're going to be an Alabama family, an Auburn family. Big decisions in life, you know. We're Watch it, watch it now. Life is filled with decisions, big and small. And we can start with this basic truth. We make our decisions, and then our decisions make us. Isn't that the truth? You know, you, you get to make your own choices about... Most all of this stuff, there's some things you don't get to decide, but you're grown-ups, so most of the stuff you get to decide for yourself. You make your decisions, but then your decisions make you. Wouldn't you agree that most of what's true in your life today about what you experience, it's mostly the result of the decisions that you made yesterday and last week and last year, that life today looks in large part the way that it does because of decisions that you've already made, and if that's true... Wouldn't you also agree that what you experience tomorrow and in 2014 is going to be because of the decisions that you make right now and in the immediate future? We need to find, most of us need to find a better way of making decisions. And we're going to look to the scriptures for a guide in that, and we're going to use a really good guide, and that is Solomon. He's a good guide because he was the wisest man ever to live, according to the Word. 
And I want to invite you, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Second Chronicles uh, chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I'll just set the stage for you. Solomon was one of the sons of King David, and he was the final king to ever rule over a unified Israel. That was a challenge. There were only three kings who ever got to rule over a unified Israel. And by that, I mean Israel and Judah were one nation. The 12 tribes were all together. And that was just tough because these people were never really much of a unified nation. And they're quickly going to splinter apart after Solomon dies. But uh, he has, Solomon has the sort of unpleasant challenge of following the greatest leader that Israel would ever know in their history. Following David. I mean, this is, I mean, think of any great, you know, somebody who has just been the best of the best. We, we've laughed about football, you know. It, it would be like for Alabama fans, wouldn't you have hated to have been the coach who followed Bear Bryant? Because, you know, nobody could ever follow Bear Bryant. You're never going to be what he was, and you, you know, you just can't hope to ever fill his shoes. Well, Solomon had that exponentially bigger because he's not a football coach. He's the leader of an entire nation of people, and not just a nation of people. This is God's people. These people have a unique role in all of human history, and it's just this overwhelming task. And David has the last two paragraphs of 1 Chronicles tell us of the death of David. And so now, David's dead. Solomon, you're the man. Lead these people. It is an overwhelming, a daunting task to follow in David's footsteps. And so... The first thing we, that we read of Solomon doing in Second Chronicles 1, he calls all the people together. He has not yet built the temple for the Lord. He will in the future. But there is the tent of meeting. And he calls the people to the tent of meeting, and he presents a thousand burnt offerings. I mean, this is an extravagant sacrifice. It is his way of saying, I mean, you get the, the point here, don't you? It's his way of saying to the people, as your ruler, I want to be very clear what is Number one, for me and for us as a people, it is honoring the Lord and putting Him first. And so he makes this extravagant offering, and in response to that, that evening, the Lord appears to Solomon, and in verse 7 it says, That night God appeared to Solomon and said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now can you imagine... God shows up and says that to you. I mean, we, we've seen the equivalent of this in sort of a silly fashion, you know, with movies where, you know, you rub the lamp and the genie comes out and says, I'll grant you one wish, anything that you want. But, I mean, this isn't some silly movie. This is God who shows up. I can't think of any other time in Scripture that God ever did this. And he looks at Solomon and says, You tell me any one thing that you want me to do for you. I'm going to do it. Small group leaders, this would be a great opener for your lesson this week. After your people have had some time to chew on that, ask them, how would you answer that question? If God showed up to you today and said, Jim, ask me anything you want, what would you ask for? What would be your one request? Well, Solomon is confronted with that, and we read about his response in verse 8, where Solomon answered God and said, You've shown great kindness to David my father, and you've made me king in his place. Now, Lord, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. And now in verse 10, we're going to actually hear what he asks as his one thing. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Very straightforward response. If I can have one thing from you, God, this is it. Give me wisdom. Give me knowledge so that I can lead well the people that you've put me over. God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you've not asked for wealth, possessions or honor nor the death of your enemies 
and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king. Hear the last part of this. Therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given you, oh, in great abundance. And I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was ever before you have ever had and none after you ever will have. How's that for an answer? I mean, God doesn't just say, you know, Solomon, that was a really good answer, so I'm going to give you wisdom, and I'm even going to just give you some stuff to go along with it. I mean, how big a response could you hope for? God says, I am so pleased with your response. You didn't ask for the things you could have asked for. You could have asked to be, you know, to have the longest life any man ever had. You could have asked for health, for, for glory. You could have asked for all of this stuff. You didn't ask for any of that. You ask for wisdom so that you would lead well. And so I'll tell you what, Solomon, I'm going to give you wisdom like crazy. I'm going to give you so much knowledge. And boy, does he ever do that. He made him the wisest man to ever live. And if you go back and read about what it was like when Solomon reigned, rulers and their wise men and women from all around the world gathered just to sit under Solomon and to listen to what he had to say. Because it wasn't just that he had great insight about life and in a philosophical sense. I mean, the guy would lecture on the sciences. He was the, the Einstein and beyond of his generation. The world had never seen anyone like him. It was like nothing was beyond understanding for him. But God said, I'm going to go way beyond that. I'm going to make you the richest man on earth. I'm going to extend your power. There's just not going to be anybody like you ever previously in history. And in fact, nobody following you is going to be like you. How extraordinary is that? that that's wild stuff, isn't it? So when we talk about wisdom, Solomon is the man. And Solomon wrote volumes on wisdom. I, I realized this week as I was studying for this message, this is the biggest subject that I've never preached on or taught on. In 25 years of preaching and teaching, this is, it's not the biggest subject in the Bible. It is one of the biggest, but it's the biggest one that I realized I have never one time taught a lesson, preached a sermon on wisdom, and it actually is a major, major theme of Scripture about godly wisdom and how we seek wisdom and what it looks like and how to, how to pursue it and what the opposite of wisdom is. And so today we're hitting on a really, really important topic. And Solomon, in talking about wisdom, he had a, he had a lot to say about it. He said, you know, pursue wisdom because it is greater than strength. It is greater than wealth. It's greater than power. And, and he also said what we're going to hold on to is our memory verse for this week. We said we believe in, in the power of Scripture to transform us. I hope you're rehearsing these verses that we're learning week by week. This week's verse uh, the reference is an easy one to remember. It's Proverbs sixteen sixteen, and easy way to remember that. When you're growing up, at what age do you need wisdom more than any other? When you turn 16 and you get those car keys. So that's the wisdom chapter and verse, Proverbs sixteen sixteen, And it simply says this, as you see on the screen, how much better to get wisdom than gold? To choose understanding rather than silver. Proverbs sixteen sixteen. Now, we're going to say that together a couple of times while we're reading it. So, all together now, out loud. How much better to get wisdom than gold to choose understanding rather than silver? Proverbs sixteen sixteen. Again, how much better to get wisdom than gold to choose understanding rather than silver? Proverbs sixteen sixteen. We read well. Now let's can it on the screen and put your notes down. All right, ready? How much better to get wisdom than 
Good deal. Great. One last time. How much better? You nailed it. Good job. We'll keep doing that. We'll keep doing it in small group. Wisdom. Wisdom is so important. It's worth pursuing. And by the way, when you read about wisdom, particularly in the Old Testament, and Solomon wrote so much about wisdom, it's interesting to go back. Read through Proverbs again. And every time you read the word wisdom, insert the words Holy Spirit. Because the the concept of wisdom in the Old Testament is very much interchangeable with the person of the Holy Spirit, who is for us wisdom from God now. So it's interesting how it'll change your reading of the Old Testament when you, when you insert that, when you look at it that way. Let me just say this. For the younger people in the room, this message is so critical for you. I'm telling you, if you could ask those of us in the room who are starting to get some gray hairs or lose our hairs, we'll all tell you in unison, if I had only known... Back then, what I know now, my life would be so different. My life would be better. If I had known when I was your age, I'm telling you, if, you will, if you'll do what we're talking about today, if you will pursue godly wisdom, it will change the trajectory of your life. It absolutely will. And it will exponentially increase the impact of your life. Wisdom will do that. You may be saying, well, so what's the big deal about wisdom? I'll tell you why it's such a big deal. Think about whatever huge challenges that you face in life. If right now you're in a relationship and it's not really going where you thought it would go, but you can't really figure out how to get out of it, but you just can't really figure out if you want to turn this into a lifelong commitment and it's just, it's just kind of a mess, you don't know what to do with it, or worse still, if you're in a marriage that's just kind of in quicksand it's just slowly sinking it's it's not getting any better over time it just seems to get a little worse and everything you try it just seems to sink a little deeper in well what do you do what do you need i'll tell you what you need in either of the situations you need relational wisdom you need wisdom financially things have not turned out the way that you thought they would by this time in your life and with the passing of time there's a financial noose around your neck that's getting tighter and tighter what do you need do you need to win the lottery do you need a big raise no let me tell you what you need you need financial wisdom is what you need you're a parent and you're raising teenagers enough said you need wisdom amen and a lot of it solomon said of wisdom and Proverbs uh, 4, 7. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. The good news in that is you can't have it. You can't attain it. God wants you to possess real wisdom to make better decisions. And in talking to us about this, Solomon took an interesting approach. He talked as much about folly and foolishness as he did about wisdom because he understood that foolishness and wisdom, in terms of the decisions that we make, they are the two different sides of the same coin. I mean, you, you get that that's how a lot of decisions work. A lot of decisions. Now, I mean, granted, there are some decisions that there's not. I mean, you just make the decision. It's not about wisdom and folly. Deciding whether I was going to wear the red shirt or the blue shirt today, that wasn't about wisdom or folly. That's, you know, there are some useless decisions like that. But the ones that matter, that are going to have impact... They're like two sides of the same coin. You know, do I buy the boat? Do I not buy the boat? 
you know, that's a big decision if it's a twenty or $30,000 boat. Do I purchase the house? Do I rent a house? Do I ask the girl to marry me? Do I not ask the girl to marry me? Those are, those are two sides of the same coin. And here's the deal. One side is foolishness and one side is wisdom. The trick is knowing the difference because they don't come labeled, do they? And a lot of us, unfortunately, will sort of make decisions like the tossing of a coin. And, and truth be told, if we just could be completely candid in here, there are plenty of people who feel like, you know what, I have had enough experience trying to pray through a decision or you know, figure out a godly answer and feeling like I didn't get enough of an answer. And it's just like tossing a coin up in the air and just going, you know, heads I ask the girl, tails I don't. Heads, I guess I'm getting married. You know. Heads I buy the boat, tails I don't buy the boat. Rats, I don't get the boat. You know, it, it's just, <laughs> yeah, somebody's voting for two heads there. We need to know what wisdom and foolishness look like so that we can recognize them for what they are. I, I, I knew a guy very well, had ministered to him uh, for years, and the hand of the Lord was on his life in a powerful way. You could see the gifts and, of God on his life, the call of God on his life. And he unfortunately decided to make one of life's big decisions, essentially by tossing a coin, but he didn't flip a coin. He literally rolled dice to determine the course of his life. He had read about that in the Old Testament, about the idea of casting lots, which stayed in practice until the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's the reason it quit then. And he was wrestling with what to do with his life and whether or not he was going to go into full-time ministry. And so he just decided he was going to make that decision based on one roll of the dice. And he just made it this simple. God, if you want me to be in ministry, make the dice come up. I don't remember what the number was. We'll say 12. And he rolled the dice one time, and they didn't come up that number. He said, that's it. From that point forward, I'm not called to ministry. I know I'm not. I rolled the dice, and it came up something other than a 12. You couldn't convince him otherwise. Let me ask you this. Was that decision and that way of making a decision wisdom or folly? Let me tell you, as New Testament believers, it was folly. It was foolishness. They cast lots in the Old Testament. They cast lots up until the coming of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit of God did not live in the hearts and minds of ordinary believers like you and me. They didn't hear from God the way that we do. Once the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, they didn't roll the dice anymore. They didn't have to flip coins. They could seek the wisdom of God for themselves. But in seeking God's wisdom, we have the confusing factor of our own thoughts, our own ideas of what would be good and what would be bad. So thankfully, we have the Word of God to make sense out of a lot of that. And the wisdom of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, helps to flesh that out for us. And so Solomon not only gives us pictures of what wisdom looks like, the one side of the coin, but he says, I want you to know what folly looks like as well. And so I'm going to take just a, a few minutes and share with you four of the basic truths that Solomon tells us about folly. So as we're making choices, many times we'll be able to look at the two sides and go, wait a minute, one of these sounds like what Solomon had to say about folly or about wisdom. Four things that he said about foolishness. The first one is this, fools act before they think. How many in the room have been guilty of making big decisions on the spur of the moment? Yeah, several of us have done that. 
Uh, Proverbs 13, 16 says, Wise people think before they act. Fools don't, and they even brag about their foolishness. The bottom line, do you stop to think, pray, and listen before you act, or do you just jump on it? Do you ever just, just go out and, you know, you didn't even go out to, to make a big purchase, but you're driving around, and oh, there's the boat. There's the car, there's the toy, you know, the thing that I've wanted. And on that day, make a spur-of-the-moment decision. I, I was blown away. Um, Glenn Henson, our student pastor, he does a lot of beach weddings. And he was telling me this week, he said, you know, you, just, you wouldn't believe the people who call me up that week or that day and say, we decided this morning to get married, can you marry us this afternoon? In fact, he said this past week was a big week for that. He said Tuesday was a big day for that. I'm like... Tuesday. I mean, you will talk to Glenn. He'll tell you some crazy stories about people getting married. I'm like, Tuesday? He said, oh yeah, Tuesday. He said, I think it's because it was the 12th. The date was 11-12-13. And he said a bunch of people wanted their anniversary to be 11-12-13. I'm like, there's a great reason to get married right there. <laughs> Honey, I wasn't going to marry you, but I realized today's 11-12-13. So apparently that is just, yeah, that's wisdom right there. Not. So he said, you know, people call me up in the morning. We decided we want to get married this afternoon. We're going to run by and get a license. Will you, will you marry us? I'll tell you what the word says about that. It says you're a fool. Fools don't think before they act. Wise people think before they act. Let me just tell you, I've been a fool sometimes in my life. Oh, I wish I had not. If I could go back, some things I'd do differently. One of the decisions that I made years ago, stupid, foolish. I was living in a nice little house on a cul-de-sac in what had been a nice neighborhood, but... It went to pot, a couple of, quite literally went to pot, a couple of houses on our street became druggy houses. So I'm sure you get pot and other stuff there. And so, man, the value of our house was going down, didn't feel real safe with our kids there. Needed to find another place to go. We're looking for a place to rent. Found a great deal. Now I never bothered to stop and ask for godly counsel. Never spent much time praying about it. I waited one night to make the decision when we found this wonderful deal on a house in a safer, a little bit nicer neighborhood. And, you know, I guess to make myself feel better spiritually, you know, I offered up a quick prayer. God, you know, if you're not in this, let me know. It's pretty much the prayer, you know. <laughs> Stop me. Let me get run over by a truck before I can sign the lease tomorrow. It was basically the, the essence of my prayer. So I could say I prayed about it. Threw one up. And went and signed the lease as fast as I could the next morning. Thinking, surely, I mean, only God could give me a deal this sweet, right? Huh. I didn't take time to think about that decision then. I didn't take time to think about what it would be like to own a house that I'm not living in and make payments for it all year long while I'm also paying for another house that's costing me even more to rent. But let me say, God gave me a year to think about it. <laughs> and a lot of time beyond that that I have thought about it. I have come to a conclusion. It's foolishness. It is foolish to move when you don't have to before you've sold a house. Guess what I learned in that? I'm not the only one who notices all those cars with drug dealers and thugs sitting on their hoods all day and all night. Everybody that came to look at my house noticed that too. They liked my house. They did not like my drug dealing neighbors and wouldn't buy my house. It was folly for me to make that decision. And I spent years digging out of the financial hole that that created. Fools make hasty decisions before thinking about it, before asking counsel. 
I did, but I wish I had learned the easier way. I wish I had sought wisdom instead of acting so quickly. Secondly, he says, fools spend all they earn. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Proverbs 21, 20. And in Solomon's day, people didn't carry around uh, money, typically. Most people just didn't really have financial wealth, so you measured wealth in terms of commodities. And so he's, he's speaking in those terms. And he says, look, it, it's this simple. A wise person has always got something stored back. There's always a reserve. There's always something saved. And a foolish person just consumes everything that they get their hands on. I'm going to go ahead and give you a heads up for your small group time so you can be doing the math on this between now and then. One of the questions that you'll be asked this week is, think of it, your, your normal month, your typical income, expenses and all that, what percentage of your income do you normally give away through tithes, offerings, charitable giving, things like Compassion International, and just what you give to bless others? What percent do you give away? Secondly, what percent do you save that you put back out of your income toward retirement, that you put back toward savings? And then what percent do you just spend? We ought to have to answer that question periodically to get a snapshot of how we're living. Solomon said, it's this simple. Because a lot of our decisions are financial decisions, aren't they? A lot of economic decisions that we make. And think about how much our stress is tied to our financial decisions. It's a bunch, isn't it? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of us have, have stressed this year because of being in a financial bind? We're in a tight. And you think, that bind is usually tied to some financial choices that I made. I got me into most of the binds I've ever been in financially. Somebody else didn't do that to me. And Solomon says, look, it's this simple. If you spend everything that you make, you're a fool. Strong talk, isn't it? I can say that because I'm quoting Solomon. It's just foolish to spend everything that you make. I had somebody tell me the other day, you know, well, when I made this decision to do this and to do that, I felt good about it because, you know, I did my budget and I, I was going to have a couple of dollars left at the end of every month in doing that. You know, in a normal month. And it's like, okay, who in the room has had a normal month ever? That there were no financial surprises. Every month has some surprises. And the bottom line is, if you don't leave margin, you live in crisis. Solomon said, that's foolish. So when you're looking at the boat, the car, the, the whatever, and you're going, is this a wise decision? Part of the evaluation of that is, does that invade my ability to give like I'm supposed to give and to store what I'm supposed to store in terms of creating a reserve. And that reserve is not so that I can always live fat and sassy. Sometimes that reserve is going to be used to bless others. Fools spend all they earn. Thirdly, he says, fools hurt those they love. Proverbs 14.1 says, A woman's family is held together by her wisdom, but it can be destroyed by her foolishness. How many in the room would say, I find that the people that I hurt the most are the people who are closest to me. And if the person next to you is close to you and they're not raising their hand, you can punch them in the ribs. Just go ahead and elbow them right now. We, we do that, don't we? The people we hurt the most are the ones that we love the most. I, I love what Solomon is saying. A woman's family is held together by her wisdom. Don't you just know that God has made women in such a way that they are the glue that keeps a family close. You ever seen that? I mean, guys, we have an important role, but it's, it's the wife, it's the mom. God just made them sticky. You just, they're just the glue that just 
keeps us close. You, you all are so, ladies, you're so dialed in to the relational stuff, to the heart stuff. You just have a wonderful gift from God to be wonderfully sticky, keeping us glued together. By your wisdom, you can keep us close. But you know what? You can be foolish, and you can be the very thing that causes a family to no longer be close, that causes a marriage to no longer be close. What does that foolishness look like? Well, it can look like nagging. Solomon says like the dripping of a faucet. Drip, 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 driving the family crazy. It can be through a controlling nature. It can be through sarcasm that's disguised as, oh, it's just my sense of humor. It can be through disrespect that you're a master at planting like landmines. And the end result is instead of having a close, tight-knit, loving family, that there is a constant sense of tension and discord. And, and those comments, those behaviors... You just need to see them for what they are. Solomon says they're foolishness and they destroy a family. Now, lest you think I'm picking on the, the ladies in the room, men, let's, let's talk about us. I said that in the first service and immediately lady went, Amen. <laughs> let's talk about the men. Well, men, you know that God has caused, called us to be the protectors to make sure that the family is secure, that we hold on to each other and love each other in ways that we should. And by the same token, you know, our wisdom can help to secure, keep the family secure, but our foolishness, you know, us being angry, us being always busy, us being emotionally absent, us being domineering and controlling, talking down to, to the family, to just not being there. And we can do that in the name of, yeah, but I was providing for the family. Too much of that is just foolishness because it doesn't pull a family together. Solomon says, fools hurt those they love. And finally, fools think that they know it all. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, fools think they know what's best, but a sensible person listens to advice. So I want to ask you a real straightforward question. When you have decisions to make, significant decisions, do you ask others for godly counsel? I, I'm not talking about you seeking out that person who's your buddy, who's a weakling, who's always going to go, oh yeah, that's a great idea, sure, you ought to do that. Not that person. A person who has insight, who lives wisely, and who is enough of a friend that when they see you making an unwise choice is going to look you in the eye and go, Forrest, no, I don't think that's a good idea, and here's why. Do you seek that kind of counsel? Now, I, I'll say, as a pastor, I, I'm encouraged that a lot of times people will come and, and seek me out, not that I'm like the, the wellspring of, of wisdom, but, you know, just I, I am one of those people in the church that you would naturally think, well, if I'm needing counsel on something, I ought to talk to somebody who would offer godly counsel. A lot of times people will think of their pastor and I'm like, well, that's cool. And, and, you know, I'm honored that I get to be a part of that process for people. But can I just tell you, I am at the point I want to pull my hair out. Because 
people at times will all but stand in line to come and get my counsel on stuff. And I am so blown away. Now, let me say that there are plenty of times that people will come to me for godly counsel, and it will not be a black and white situation, and there's not a black and white answer to give. You know, we pray together, we talk about it, we look at the pros and cons, we see if the Word of God speaks to that, but, you know, there will be times that there's not just a clear answer. But there are other times where God speaks very clearly, either the Word speaks clearly or in counseling, the voice of the Holy Spirit is just very clear, and it's, this is what God says about that. It is very clear what you need to do. And here it is. Here's the thing that blows my mind, and I've had this happen multiple times in the last month and even in the last week. Sitting down in counseling, situation gets laid out there. God speaks very clearly to that situation. Here's what needs to happen. And, and it's just, it's a holy moment where you realize, wow, it wasn't that I'm just carrying around all this insight, but God speaks in that situation. Here is what needs to happen. And you can just see the light bulbs come on and the people go, wow, that is, that's right. I am so glad that I came and talked to you about that. Thank you. I know what I need to do. And, and you walk away going, Cool, thank you, God, for speaking and giving clear direction. And they walk out the door, and I mean, just about probably have to speed to get to their next destination to go do the exact opposite thing of what I just told you. I've had some people ask me in the last month, do you charge when you do counseling with people, especially like when people from outside the church come to you for counseling? No, no, I never charge people. You know, you don't ever charge? No, I don't. That's silly. I'm a pastor. You know, it's just part of... What I do, I don't charge people. But I told somebody this week for the first time, I'm like, I don't charge people for counseling, but I'm about ready to change that policy and say, it doesn't cost you a dime to come for counseling if you're going to do some of what we talk about. But if you're going to do the exact opposite, it's going to be $100 an hour. <laughs> just, just that simple. Yeah, I'm not being serious. But it, truly, it, it's just it's that frustrating. So it is a twofold question. One, will you submit yourself? I'm not saying come ask me, but will you submit yourself to to somebody around you who's godly and who knows you and who speaks truth into your life, will you ask them the question? But secondly, just as importantly, will you listen to and be responsive to what they say? Because the problem for a bunch of us is we do live foolishly because when we do take the time to go, Terry, let me run this thing by you that I've been thinking about and really get some godly counsel from you, that if Terry sees some pitfalls in that and points those out to me, I mean, most of the time we live our lives where it's like, well, I mean, it's just Terry. Anyway, what's Terry know? I mean, it's not like he's any more spiritual than I am. Who's he to tell me I don't need to do that? And we find a way to write this, you know, believer off that God put in my life to speak truth to me. Fools, fools will not seek out and follow the wise advice of others. And, ooh, it'll get you in trouble. You'll pay a high price for it. So that's the folly side of things. Fools act before they think, they spend all they earn, they hurt those they love, and they think they know it all. How many of you besides me at this point are going, Ooh, I've been a fool a lot of times in my life. I have. But a lot of times I've made foolish decisions. But you know what? The good news is we can live differently. We can have wisdom. Solomon said wisdom is supreme, though it costs you all you have. Get wisdom. Because it'll change the trajectory of your life. So here's the final question for the day. How do you get wisdom? I've made a lot of foolish decisions. So how do I not continue to make foolish decisions? The word is so straightforward in how to get wisdom. Three clear, straightforward things that the word says do. First of all, fear God. Proverbs 9.10 says this. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in in good judgment. 
Why is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? It's not difficult to understand. When we say fear the Lord, this doesn't mean that we go around going, oh goodness God, I mean, he's just... He's always mad. I mean, he's looking for somebody to send to hell or somebody to punish. You know, he's just, he's just angry. He's an angry God waiting to take us to the woodshed. That is not the fear of the Lord that we're talking about. To say that we fear God means that we honor Him, that, that we carry around a reverent respect for Him where we realize God is not just another guy. And He absolutely is not the big guy upstairs. Can I just tell you, that offends the crud out of me. To hear people talk about our Father who is a holy God in such familiar terms. Like, oh yeah, me and the big guy upstairs, we're good. We're, are you kidding me? He is not somebody that we just flippantly treat as if he's our big brother. He is not your big brother. He is the God who created everything by his wisdom and by the power of his spoken word. There is none like him. He holds everything together. He misses nothing. By His spoken word, He holds everything in the universe as it is. He not only keeps track of all that goes on, He not only is fully aware of every decision, He will judge every human being. Jesus said to the extent that we will answer to God for every careless word that we have spoken, He is God. That is not the big guy upstairs. It doesn't mean that we cower in fear. Going, oh, I'm scared of that God. I don't want anything to do with that God. No, the wonderful thing is that God chooses to be a loving, gracious Father. But He is still the righteous judge whose power is unmatched. Whose judgment is unwavering. Whose righteousness there is no parallel to. God is with us today. Everybody in agreement on that? That God is here today? But would you also agree with this? While God is here, God is not fully here. In a very real sense, God is not as here as He could be. Have you been a part of... of Times with God, maybe in a worship experience, maybe in a private time of worship, where God showed up in ways more tangible, more overwhelming, overpowering than what He did here today. I have. We read about them in Scripture. The day of Pentecost, to some extent, is that type of day, but we read in the Old Testament like when the glory of the Lord descended when Solomon had built the temple and Solomon and the people dedicated the temple and the glory of God the manifest presence of God descended on the temple and the people just laid out before it. I mean, they, they couldn't even do any of the stuff that they normally would do. They didn't sing songs at that point. The priests didn't offer sacrifices. They couldn't do anything else but get on their faces before God in repentance and worship. That's what I'm talking about. If God fully showed up in this place today, can I just tell you, I won't preach... Ross won't sing. We won't do that stuff anymore. We'll get on our faces in repentance and worship. And only one thing will matter in that moment. And that is doing whatever would please Him. If you've never been there, I can just tell you, I promise you, there's only one thing that will matter in that moment. 
I just want to please him right now. I just want to please him with the rest of my life. I want to tell him I'm sorry for the times that I haven't pleased him. I want to live now and from here on. I want to live to please him. And this is why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because wisdom begins with that basic concept that wisdom is all about doing what pleases the Lord. Whatever honors him. Whatever would make his name and his reputation greater in the world. Whatever would represent him well. So when I'm making a decision, I should ask those kinds of questions that represent a mindset of fearing the Lord. If I do this thing, would that honor God? Would God be pleased by that? Would that represent his character well in the world? Would that decision help me to know Christ better and to be more like Christ? And if the answer isn't yes, then it's probably not a wise decision. Amen? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Second thing, fear God. Secondly, ask God. I love what James says. So straightforward as James always is. If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. This is maybe my most frequent prayer. As I'm not just only going through life myself, but just as I'm encountering people who are coming and asking for counsel from me. I mean, that is just the thing. As you're talking to me, laying out heavy stuff to me, I'm praying a lot of the time. I'm listening, but I'm praying. And I'm just saying, oh, God, speak. Show me what to say. Guide me. I, I don't, I'll make a mess of this, God, if I'm the one that tells them what to do. Please give me wisdom. P- please just bring truth to light. God, just give wisdom. Please speak. Please, God. It's a great prayer to pray. Ask for wisdom, and it'll be given. Now, he does throw this in in the following verse. He says, you've got to ask in faith. He says, if you don't believe God's going to give you wisdom, you're not going to get anything back in return. But as you're asking, seek the word, seek godly counsel, go to the places that you're likely to hear God, spend time in prayer. Now, the cool thing about this is you can ask in just the the rush of the moment, and God can speak in that moment. I, I love that he does that. I love that that when I'm caught in a situation where it's like a decision's got to come right now in the next minute, the next five minutes, whatever, that I can go, oh, God, please just speak. Please give wisdom. And that he can do that. He doesn't mind doing that. But there are other big decisions in life where the answer didn't come in the first 30 seconds that I asked. I have the luxury of time to wait, to pray, to really seek God, to fast over that. I have the luxury of time to seek out godly counsel from people who I know walk with God and speak truth. I have the luxury of time to search the Word of God and see if the Word of God speaks to this issue. And let me say that. When you're seeking wisdom from God, the written Word of God is vital. It is absolutely vital. You will mistake your own voice for the voice of the Lord more times than you can count if you're not in the Word. The Word of God is that that living and active sword that separates and divides soul and spirit. It helps you know what's just your soul, your thoughts, versus your spirit where God has spoken into that situation. You're going to need the truth of the Word of God. So many times when God speaks to you to reveal what's wisdom and what's folly in a decision, 
He's going to remind you of a truth from the Word, a principle, a proverb, a story that relates to your situation. And in that moment, it's going to be like lights have come on in your brain and you're going, holy smoke, I've heard that story a dozen times and I never even thought about how that relates to my situation. But the Spirit of God just whispered truth that tied those things together and it's like, I know what to do now. I never thought about that story and that situation and how it relates to me, but God just showed me, and now I know wisdom from folly in that. God says, you ask me, and I'll answer. Now, God answers a lot of ways. He'll answer from his word. He'll answer through people. He'll answer in the context of worship. He'll answer in prayer. He'll use all kinds of things to give an answer. But don't be silly. Don't roll the dice. Don't flip a coin. In the New Testament... As spirit-filled followers of Christ, we're not told to, to do these kinds of things to put God in a box and go, all right, God, heads, I give it, tails, I keep it. That is not how we make decisions. Fear God, ask God, and then the final word on wisdom. Hang out with wise people. Proverbs thirteen twenty says, Spend time with the wise, and you will become wise. But the friends of fools will suffer. Do you believe that? Well... We need to ask ourselves the question, what kind of people do we hang out with in your time? The time that you control. Do you hang out with people who really make wise decisions or people who make foolish decisions? Again, don't think of those in arbitrary terms. Think in terms we've been talking about. Do you hang out with people who think they know it all? Do you hang out with people who make snap judgments, who live by just, you know, their common sense? Do you, do you hang out with people who spend all that they make? Do you hang out with people who have healthy, strong relationships with the people who are dear to them or people who tend to hurt their, their loved ones on a real frequent basis? Do you hang out with foolish people or do you hang out with wise people who make good decisions? I, I think back in, in my own life to many years ago when I was starting out in ministry and I remember being petrified at the thought of finally doing the thing that I had trained so long to do. That was a, that's a really a weird experience. I spent four years doing undergraduate work at Alabama and then four and a half years of full-time study doing uh, study in theology at Divinity School. And I was actively involved in ministry as a volunteer through those years. And yet it's just so funny looking back after all of that training ground, hands-on in ministry as a volunteer, all this education. <laughs> and I'll never forget my first paid pastoral position. I was the youth pastor in a large church, thousands of people. So I step in as the only youth pastor there. I'm so excited about it, but I will never forget the first day that I get there. And it's, it's a really crazy time of life. We're, you know, Within one month, we're having a baby, and I'm dealing with finals, and we're moving, and I'm starting my first staff position. No surprise, I also wound up that month in the ER with stomach ulcers. A lot going on, you know, at that time. But uh, I'll never forget that first day that you get past all the transition and move my little bit of stuff into my office, really nice office, really nice church. And I sit down at my desk, and for the first time, I'm left alone. And I just remember that overwhelming feeling of, oh, no, I don't know what to do. I've been to school all this time. I've spent years preparing for this moment. And I don't have a clue what to do. Oh, God, help me. I need wisdom. I really don't know what to do. I've got two very small children. I've got a newborn and a preschooler. And now 
lots and lots of families in this church are looking at me thinking a couple of different things. About half or two-thirds of them just want to bring me their teenagers and say, bring them back to me when they're raised and they act better. And the others who are a little, you know, take on a little more responsibility than that are saying, help us disciple our kids and teach us how to be better parents of teenagers. And I'm thinking, I've got a four-year-old and a baby. I've never raised a teenager a day in my life. And now you want me to speak truth and wisdom every day into their lives and into your lives as parents. Oh, God, I need so much wisdom. And in that season of my life, I looked around and I realized, I know what I want. And I know what I lack. I want to learn how to be a good dad and husband. I want to learn how to be a real man of faith. And I want to learn how to do ministry really well. I I didn't have any desire to climb the ladder or be somebody that was recognized But I wanted to learn to be really effective, used by God to make a difference in the lives of other people. And I looked around, and I realized I didn't see a lot of people who were doing what I wanted to be and do in life. I saw a lot of people who were making a lot of money. The church I was in was incredibly wealthy. saw a lot of people who were financially successful. I did not see a lot of men who were living out their faith well and who had strong families as a reflection of that. And I looked around at my peers in ministry and I did not see a lot of people who were leading as shepherds the way that I wanted to. I saw plenty of people who, you know, were successfully leading their churches, but they weren't having impact. I I was shocked to see how many of them didn't really seem to have a close walk with the Lord, that ministry was just the overflow of that. And really disheartened by looking at that. But I realized as I looked around, there were a few people that I knew that were doing it so well. I saw just a few men who were doing a great job as husbands and dads and just as men. And I saw just a small sprinkling of men who were in ministry and they walked with God and they lived out their faith and they were having real impact. And I just made a determination. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get near these people. I'm not already in their circles, and and I'm. It's not that you know I want to suddenly be successful with you. I just want to learn wisdom from you, and I just was very intentional about that. I sought out a pastor leading a very large church, but who who was doing a very good job, and went to him and said, "I don't want to be paid for anything. I just want to spend time with you. Would you be willing to to give me your time?" And, he was really thrown off by what I was asking him. He's like, I never had anybody ask me that. I'm like, well, I really just want to learn everything I can from you. I'll do whatever you ask me to do if you'll just give me some of your time. And he said, give me a week to think about it. And he came back to me a week later and he said, all right, every, and he named the day, Tuesday or whatever it was, every Tuesday at this time, meet me at such and such. He gave me unrestricted access to everything he did. He let me be a part of Everything you can imagine in ministry. And I got to see stuff that normally you just get thrown into the fire. And I got to watch a seasoned man who walked with God handle all these tough situations. Walk into tough meetings. Walk into, you know, grief situations. This person just died. This person's facing this terrible situation. Walk in and watch how a godly man ministers in those situations. God pointed out another man who just was living well. Great dad, great husband to this day. Just such a wonderful marriage and family. 
and just led me to go to this guy and say, I know we don't know each other well, and you're 12 years older than I am, but is there any chance we could just spend some time hanging out together on a regular basis? I would really like to learn some stuff from you. And he's like, I would love to do that. I felt about this big. This guy, major success in business, very made a lot of money, but just really has done well in with his family and his faith. And I'm thinking, this guy doesn't have time for me. And he's like, I would love to do that. Do you know from that day forward, for the years that I remained in Tuscaloosa, every Monday morning from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., he sat across the table from me and just shared his life with me and, and me with him. can't begin to tell you how much his wisdom has shaped my life. I was talking to him on the phone not long ago. We don't get to see each other hardly ever. We live 200 miles apart. And he said, you know, to this day, I've never had a relationship with another man like what we shared together for the years that we got to sit down for two hours every week. And, and I can't convey to him how much wisdom he passed on to me. The truth of what Solomon is saying is so strong. You want to be wise? There's no free pass on this. You've got to hang out with wise people. You want to be at a better place financially? You probably better start hanging out with some people who aren't constantly broke and figuring out how to you know, tie things together to just barely get by. You want financial wisdom? You probably ought to hang out with and learn some truth from some people who've learned how to build margin in their lives, who've learned how to handle money well. You want wisdom for how to be a godly man, a godly woman, a father, a mother, a husband, a wife. You probably better be intentional to hang out with some people who have done that really well. It doesn't happen accidentally, does it? You know what I found? The people who are living that way couple of things that I found one's encouraging one's not you know they're not going to most likely come up to you and just say hey hey Johnny c- come and learn from me c- come and you know just absorb my wisdom they're not going to seek you out but I have been so pleasantly shocked to find as multiple times over the years God's led me to different people to spend time with that if I'll ask they'll give me their time They'll be incredibly generous about that. The other half of this equation that's kind of weird is the people who will naturally just migrate to me are the emotional vampires and unhealthy people of the world. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The ones who aren't going to make you any wiser. They're not going to make your life richer. They're going to suck you dry like a vampire. And if they're the only people you hang around with, you're going to become more unhealthy. You're going to make foolish decisions. You're going to have to be intentional. Wise people are those who run with the wise. Would you join me as we pray together right now? Father, I pray that you would help us to make better decisions. That you would help us to truly be wise people who seek your counsel, who listen to godly counsel. Help us to be people who are willing to wait to listen, to think before we act. I want to ask you as we're in prayer, by a show of hands, how many of you would say, now or in the near future, there are some significant decisions that I've got to make? Just, just lift your hand if, if that's the case. Facing some pretty major decisions now or in the near future. Father, I pray for each of the men and women right now with their hands raised. Would you please give wisdom in every one of these situations? Speak truth. Put people in their lives. Use your word by the voice of your spirit. Please speak truth in our lives 
and give us the courage and conviction to follow through on what you say. Please help us to do that. By your power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say one final word, and it is this. There are some people in the room that you needed to hear what was said today, but quite honestly, today was about one thing for you, that God brought you to this moment in time to make the most important decision of your life. We've been talking about decisions and how to make better decisions. Today is about you making the best decision of your life. We've been talking about wisdom and how you get wisdom. Here's the bottom line. Everything that I have said has very little, if any, value for you unless you are willing to let Christ, who is the embodiment of wisdom, be the center of your life. Because ultimately, you know, I said earlier about inserting the words Holy Spirit where you read wisdom in the Old Testament. This is because wisdom is what God says. God is the source of wisdom, and He ultimately reveals that wisdom to us by the Spirit of His Son, Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says this, for those who have made Christ the center of their lives, God has united you with Christ for our benefit. God made Him, Jesus, to be wisdom itself. And Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and He freed us from sin. God wants to do all of those things in your life here and now. And from this point forward, He wants Jesus at the center of your life to be the ultimate source of wisdom for you. But there has to be a beginning point where Christ becomes the center of your life. And the truth be told, there are some Christians in the room that need for Christ once again to become the center of your life. We've made some decisions along the way that gradually Christ has become something other than the center of life. We didn't quit being Christians we just got to the point that Jesus was no longer the center of our thinking and our decision-making, and we need to get back on center. Christ is the embodiment of wisdom. We look to Him for wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I want to invite us all to bow together for just a moment. And I want to encourage you, if today's the very first time that you made Christ the center of your life, to pray this prayer aloud with me. But I want to ask every Christian in the room to pray this prayer aloud with me as we just declare again the Lordship of Christ and that we invite Him to be the center of our lives, would you pray with me? Jesus, I need You to be the center of my life. I'm asking You to come now to change me, to fill me, to forgive my sins. I trust that You died and rose again. I'm asking You to live through me. Would you give me a fresh start? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Lord, thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. And I pray that today you would help us to live a better life, a different life, centered on you, your word, and your plan. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.